Hey everybody, welcome to episode 108. How are you doing? I don't know about you, but I love the fall. And despite the fact that we are having like, what, a fourth wave now of COVID, I am today in quite good spirits, um, which is probably, you know, related to many things, one of which is the weather changing. Um, I don't know, fall is such like a con contemplative time um and just you know soups i miss them i miss them during the hot months um soups and other cozy kinds of foods desserts that have cinnamon in them i don't know say a crumble anyway it's all it's all like nice happy good vibes also so many of the projects that i have been like I don't know, just really busy with and kind of like not stressed out, but just really busy. Like, you know, where an ill, an ill-timed cold could really, really mess me up. Those projects are wrapping up. So I'm left feeling like, oh my gosh, my to-do list is quite manageable. Also, I had six straight weekends in a row um, where I was playing out of state gigs. So, you know, having a gig like a, like a, you know, kind of intense athletic, um, athletic type of gig where I'm singing for many, many hours and also dancing and also, I don't know, unloading and setting up and then tearing down and loading back in a ton of gear. It can be exhausting even when it's in, when it's in town. Um, but with, you know, 10, 10 to 20 hours of driving on either side, um, I guess, I mean, five to 10 hours of driving on either side for a total of 10 or 20 in the weekend. It's pretty exhausting, but I, I did those six straight weeks and this weekend I'm in state. Um, and then next weekend, I think in state again, two weekends, two weddings this weekend, two weddings next weekend. Then the following weekend after that, another out of stater and, but only one. Anyway, all this to say there's plenty left, but the, the hardest stretch I think is over this is so boring. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe it's not. If you like knowing what my life is like, maybe you do. Who am I to say? Anyway, I'm in good spirits today, mainly because of that. Um, in terms of the hallowed wide news, the big thing is this is the last week to get the, to pre-order the record in order to get it a full year early. Um, there will be some other opportunities a bit later to, uh, get the record a bit early, but it won't be a year early. Um, so if you want to get the record a whole year early, pre-order it this week. Um, yeah, hurry up and take care of that. Pre-orders are closing really soon. And I'll just say the album's really good. I think you'll really like it. And I think you're not going to want to wait a whole year for it. So head on to emilymerrillmusic.com. Remember my name is spelled with out an I. So it's Emily. That's regular. There's an I. Merrill, M-E-R-R-E-L-L, Emily Merrill Music. And pre-order The Hallowed Wide so you can hear it a year early and get all the extra behind-the-scenes stuff as well. Um, okay. Today's episode is a conversation with my friend Ryan Innes. Um, I loved talking to Ryan. We got into some stuff toward the end of the episode that is some of my favorite favorite kind of stuff and things that I really think we all need to think about um 
as artists, as consumers of art, as general public, um, important things about, you know, what our values are as a culture, as a people surrounding art and artists, how we support um, fledgling artists, how we, you know, try to uh, build our build our value system around our individual taste, um, how we kind of build like a, a compass for what we like and what we don't like and make sure there's some kind of integrity there. I think it's quite important. Um, and Ryan has great thoughts about that. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Ryan now if you haven't already heard of him. Growing up in tiny Thatcher, Arizona, Innes was raised in the traditional musical environment of a small town. As a youth, he was classically trained on piano and sang in the Phoenix Boys Choir and local church musical groups, but it wasn't until he was introduced to R&B that Innes began a deep and personal involvement with music that would begin to change his life. At 24 years old, he applied to the Media Music Program at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, a city that has become a mecca of emerging talent producing such artists as Imagine Dragons, Neon Trees, and Lindsey Sterling. During his time at BYU, Innes gained confidence as a performer while singing with the popular a cappella group Vocal Point. Around the same time, Innes began writing his own songs influenced by melodic, vocal-centric artists like Ray Charles, Amos Lee, and Ray LaMontagne. In 2010, Innes recorded a self-titled EP and began performing solo shows promoting his EP and gaining a loyal following with his original songs and captivating covers. While gaining popularity in the local music scene, Innes landed a residency at The Montage in Park City, Utah. The new gig not only allowed him to quit his day job, but also to continue to polish his performing and songwriting skills. In 2013, Innes took a break from his residency to try out for NBC's The Voice, singing John Mayer's Gravity. Innes quickly received a four-chair turn and picked Usher as his coach. Mentored by Usher and fellow Grammy winner Pharrell Williams, Innes performed a rendition of Bill Withers' Ain't No Sunshine in the battle rounds, solidifying his place as a crowd favorite. Innes released his debut album, The In-Between, in April 2018. It's one that he hopes can capture the ups and downs of life, giving voice to the listener's own feelings of struggle and hope. Early in April of 2020, Ryan appeared on yet another NBC music TV show, Songland. Over the years, Innes has developed a distinct and dynamic artistic voice, one that can be heartbreakingly intimate at one moment and soaringly epic in the next. The range of emotions Innes can articulate in a single song or across a set list mirrors the emotional scope of the artist's life, a contrasting melange of turmoil, peace, grief, and hope. I think that's really true. Ryan is a really evocative singer, and when you listen to him, and especially when you can see him live, you really can't help but feel it. Um, and yeah, Ryan shares lots of um, wonderful thoughts and experiences and insights about music and his own musicality and, you know, the state of the state of music in the world in this episode. And I know you're going to like it. So, um, one last reminder to pre-order the hallowed wide from my website, emilymerrillmusic.com this week, if you'd like to get it a full year early. Um, and please enjoy this lovely conversation with my friend, Ryan Innes. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. 
that's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Test one, two. Maybe yeah. a little higher on my end. Okay. Just the monitor higher or the gain on the mic? Hey, hey, hey. Just like the overall, just okay. so I can hear. Yeah, I normally don't put it up too high because a lot of my guests are not musicians. Oh. It freaks them out. They're not used to being on the phones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. And I'm like, do you want more? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I interview all kinds of artists. It's because we're kind of deaf. We've just <laughs> live on our headphones well, so long. We just... We're not freaked out by our voices, That's which true. I think is the bigger thing. Like I do remember when we were, though. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Of course. Back in the day when phones were new and you, you could record your voicemail and you're like, holy crap. Well, I always voice. tell my students, like, you know, when, you, when you're listening to, like, how your voice sounds in a recording and it bugs you, like, that's how you sound to everyone else. So, you know, take it as a clue. And, like, yeah. if there are things you want to kind of adjust, like, that's a good way to... It's also like it. replies to how we look because sometimes I'm like, that's my face. <laughs> and I'm, they're like, yeah, that's your face. I'm like, okay, that you guys are like used to that every day. I'm like, yeah, that's what it looks like. I'm like, all right, okay. cool. You must really like me then. I, know, I feel <laughs> Just the joking, same but. way, but I, I mostly especially feel it when I'm like moving. Like if I'm on video versus photos, oh. I feel very like, and I don't mean like performing music moving. I just mean like just candid. Like walking around. Yeah, I feel like is that how I move? Is that how I walk? Like my hips, like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I feel very, or even just like my belly stick out that far, like like how I move my (laughs) arms. Like sometimes I'm just like that. Wow, that's it's nice though to be self unaware because if we were, we we would be, you know, stupid like (laughs) anxiety, like obsessed about it. Yeah, totally. And not like not being able to just be ourselves. Um, do you have any questions before we start, or do you want to just kind of dig in? No, I'm really good at just. Going with the flow. Great. Yeah. So with this podcast, you know, I I try to ask my guests kind of different sorts of questions than you might normally get asked in interviews. Um, And I kind of want to talk about like the origins of your creativity and kind of your, you know, artistic values and identity. So um, I like to start at the beginning and talk about what you were like as a creative child. And it doesn't have to be music specific per se, but just like. What were you kind of sparkly start? creative about as, as a little kid? You know what? As a little kid, I don't know that I was creative. Okay. To be honest. Tell me everything. Um, so I grew up in a really, I'm the oldest of seven kids. Okay. Um, so my parents were young. They were like maybe 19. Wow. 21. And the things that I do remember that were experience driven, not necessarily creative driven were my mom got me into everything. So I, okay. I did gymnastics. I did swimming. Um, I did, I worked at a library as like the checkout when I was a little kid. I worked um, writing short stories. Then maybe there's one little. Yeah, I was going to say that's very creative. I remember now there was one. Yeah. So she put me into it. It wasn't because I necessarily wanted to. Yeah. But she was just like throwing everything at me all the time. So we did this one like um, short story writing thing. And I remember we made a book out of it and I had to like design it and I had to even draw the cover for it. Yeah, I can actually see it from here. So that's smart. Yeah, but it is kind of annoying sometimes if I have to like get up in the middle and be like, "Hold on, I heard a weird click." It doesn't <laughs> normally happen, but I'm like paranoid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, because you could go an hour and not have it all. That would be awful. Yes, yes. that's only happened to me one time out of this. Will be like my hundred and eighth episode. Oh wow! Yeah, so I've I do I've been doing it a while. Um, yeah, and I only had one that like the second half of the interview was just like missing was it a good one yeah 
I mean, they're all, I think they're all kind of, you can cut it all out. You can speak on. I, I will. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, one of my goals with the podcast is to interview like so many different kinds of people. Got it. And sometimes what that means is like, you know, some of the interviews I'm talking to people that like I have a bunch in common with. And so it's just easy. And some mm-hmm. of the interviews I'm talking to people that like, I I have, we have nothing in common, wow, which okay. is also interesting. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. So, there's some so that's way to kind like... of one of my goals. Like, I try to interview like visual artists who are doing like really avant-garde things who maybe would find me like excessively boring because the stuff that they do is like yeah so crazy. Yeah, um, I would love to talk with people like that. That'd be great. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. But sometimes it's like, okay, I gotta really concentrate. Like. <laughs> Like they're using big words and terms and definitions of their Yeah, and we don't have a like, shared mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Like they say things that I'm like, I don't know what that means. Um <laughs> and we and we don't have necessarily like a shared like just Context. culture. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even just like colloquially, like just in terms of conversation, like okay. the words mean different things, which sometimes is like it's a good interview, but it I'm like tired afterward. You know? You had to really pay attention the whole time. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> It's, it's a really, it's a, it's a nice experience, experiment. And I don't know, it's a project that I feel like teaches me a lot about like being a person. Um, well, what a what better project could there be? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thanks. I, I'm really, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay. You were telling me a story about a, a, a little ghost. Oh, and I wanted to say this, we were your siblings in the class too. Um, no, I, it was just a bunch of kids that my, that, so I lived in Gilbert, Arizona. Okay. I grew up in Arizona too. Yeah. I'm from from Arizona originally. Have we talked about this? I don't think we have. I grew up in Mesa. I went to Mountain View. Okay. So I was born and raised in mostly Thatcher, Stafford area. Okay. But I was in Gilbert for quite a while. Went to Neely Elementary. Okay. Um, and then we were at the Gilbert Public library. Okay. This is, this is happening in Gilbert. What year did you graduate from high school? 99. Okay. I was going to say, I have some cousins that are from Gilbert, but I think they're like maybe a little bit younger. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. My whole family's from Arizona, so. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm so, sure we have like Arizona people in common. So we lived, I was, we were in Mesa at one point in Chandler, Chandler, Chandler in Tempe. I have family in Queen Creek, Ajo, Mesa. All over the place, yeah. Um, Lehigh, Arizona. Yeah, Lehigh, Arizona. I know. Which I didn't That's know where existed until the... last year. My sister moved there. I knew because I did my like volunteer hours at the Mesa Historical Museum, which was actually in, in Lehigh. Lehigh. So cool that it still has this little small town vibe. And yeah, it's my... a weird little, weird little place. Yeah, my sister and brother-in-law live in like a trailer. Like they're just starting out. Just cool. starting out. And they got a little trailer with a little... There's like a bowl and cows over here and there's like an orange grove over here and they like mow the lawn to take, you know, 20 awesome. bucks off the rent and stuff yeah, like that. Oh my gosh. But yeah, Thatcher Arizona is where I was born and raised okay. for the majority of and it. And that's like pretty rural. I mean, it, I imagine it maybe isn't still as rural, but. No, it's still we very rural. In. I mean, okay. it's two and a half hours east of Mesa. Okay. There's maybe 5,000 people. Well, I know like Flagstaff has changed a ton since I was a kid and I thought maybe Thatcher was yeah, the same. Yeah, Flagstaff no. just is on the way to, pe- to places. Sure. You sure, know, you're on sure. your way to Page or Utah. Or Utah, yeah. Plus Vegas, it has even. so much to give in terms of the mountains and everything. But right. Thatcher is just out in the middle of the desert. kind of nothing out there. Yeah. Okay. The whole county is only like 35,000 people. If I'm oh thinking. my gosh. So yeah, it's small. And I, I mean, I loved growing up there, but for career and stuff, I couldn't stick around. Of course, I left yeah. to, to go to... University of Phoenix to work. Okay. 
And then I yeah. came up to BYU after that. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll get all of there. Okay. So your your mom was putting you and your siblings in in all these all these little classes and things. I, I had one other question I want to hear about your story, but um, I was wondering, like, was your mom kind of putting you guys in these things because she needed you to have something to do? Or was it kind of like, I want to see which of my kids, like, sticks on each kind of thing? Um, I think it was both. Okay. She was young yeah. and trying to figure out, you know, and I, I think the mentality was the uh, idle minds or the devil's workshop kind of, of thing. Of course. You yeah. Know, I like mean, that's yeah. not in a bad way, but just like kids need to stay busy. Yeah. And stay she was a very athletic uh, girl growing up and, and my dad. So there was always something to do. And she eventually got us into more of the creative side, which I don't oh. sure if she was why she did that, to be honest. Yeah. Awesome. So. But your parents aren't like artistic people. Okay. My mom was a piano teacher. Okay. She, I mean, that's she, something. I mean, it's yeah. she's artistic in the realm of like, that's all she's done. But yeah, there's not like art in our home or other kinds of music or. I do find that there's a difference between like, I play piano as a function versus like, I do music as a joy. Yeah. It yeah. was almost like a, a chore in some ways. Sure. She I loved she loved it too, but I think she also liked that we that she did it and passed it on to us because it was like noble and acceptable and practical, and you'll never regret that you can't play the piano and and it's good for you to for your brain and to balance this out. I think she was thinking all those things. I think the relationship with the piano, like that type of thing, is so specific to Mormonism. I would like, actually agree. Yeah. This kind of like you'll playing the piano is like a. A helpful thing we do. Yeah, it's almost and a it, service. Yeah, when and I, it's like mission and it's like being able to cook. Like you just you play the piano. It's a skill that you have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it wasn't highly specialized. It was just like part of the palette. Yeah, yeah. And like, this can, is probably a helpful serve. skill you should have. Yeah, you can yeah. serve with it. She always she's always played in church. Yeah, organ, piano. Um, she's had sisters, so she's the oldest of ten kids. Yeah. Nine girls. Wow. And they were all very musical. Okay. So the piano okay, was so part of it. Okay, so it's in the family. It's in the family on that side for sure. Okay. So creative, but it didn't ever present itself as a creative thing. I would love to hear you talk more about this because I think my family is pretty similar. Okay. Like there's a lot of people on both sides of the family who, you know, maybe were in musicals in high school, but it doesn't go deeper than like the idea of it being a career is like. Yeah, I have a whole stories on that. Yeah, like what what do you think what do you think that I mean, okay, so like I think of it kind of like just the simple fact that there's like a piano in your home is a is a big advantage, you know, like mm -hmm. for a kid like just having access to a piano and having a parent who can teach you. That's that's a big asset, I think, for a child. And I feel the same way when I interview artists and, you know, their parents had oil paints around. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. You're just going to be able to develop a skill earlier just mm -hmm. simply because of that proximity. But like these kind of cultural or like more of the emotional ways that we like talk about these mediums is almost like more important than like whether the medium was available. Um, Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, so I think maybe what I'm wondering is like, you know, when you maybe say like, I didn't feel creative as a child. Do you think part of that is like, because kind of the family culture is like, these are activities, not like. Yeah, I think it was activities. I think it was, they knew that it was a good thing. Like, how could it be a bad thing to learn to play the piano? Yeah. And it was something that would be of service and of help in the future. 
Yeah. And I think it kept our, again, kept our brains active. And, yeah. But I don't think they fully understood, like, the development of an artistic side or a creative side or an open-mindedness or a yes. or an open-heartedness or some sort of development of the the creative nature, which is typically a grayer area of life. 100%. And I don't think it was ever intended to be that directional. I think it was just more transactional. Um, she, so she called it like we didn't have, we didn't grow up on a farm. We didn't have a ranch. And she yeah. thought that that was like very, an, a big, cool, noble thing. Mm-hmm. And that's like hard work. Well, we're not on a big farm with hard work. So you, instead of milking the cow in the morning, you play the piano. You're going to go play the piano. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. And my family's the same, but I, I think a lot of people listening would be like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, it's really kind of interesting. I didn't, it wasn't a choice necessarily at any point. Yeah. Um, it was, it was like a chore. It was like th- something you had to do. And eventually into high school, I couldn't play football unless I played the piano. Yeah. Yeah. We that also, house rule. we also had piano as like a it was like a chore. Yeah. It was like a, you have to do like your 30 minutes of piano or yeah, you can't, you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah. So this other stuff that you're talking about of this kind of like artful, like, you know, open heart, open mind kind of stuff. Did you feel any sort of predisposition to that as a kid? Like maybe even in the sense of like when you're listening to music, you feel a little different or like right. Well, I'll tell you the other story. side of the rounding out here. Okay. So my mother also enrolled me in the Phoenix Boys Choir. Okay. Phoenix Boys Choir. From a young age. Yeah. When we still lived in Gilbert before Thatcher. So she just, and she told me she felt like she needed to. Why? Um, that there was prompting or whatever, whatever made her feel like that was intuition to do it. And it was not an easy thing. It was expensive. They had to drive me over to Phoenix like twice a week to go to rehearsals. Um, so from a young age, I was exposed to more classical style music. Okay. I was around open-minded, open-hearted mm, kind of artistic people. But it, again, it wasn't my choice. I didn't say I wanted to try out for the Phoenix Boys Choir. It was just something she did. Did you love it right And away? then I eventually did love it. Yeah. And I remember there was one point I was, you had, they had different levels that you tried to graduate through. Sure. So there's the training choir, the town choir, and the tour choir. And I was trying out for the tour choir. I'd already gone through the other two. Okay. And I didn't make it. And I was so sad. Yeah. I remember just crying my little, little oh, boy eyes out. Little boy eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but at the, but it was more like, I don't know if it was because I wanted to do it or if it because it was like the achievement that I, that I had my goals on because of everything around me right. telling me to go there. So I didn't right. know if it, my heart was in it or if I just didn't do the thing that That's so I was supposed to. Weird. You know? Like it's such a weird thing to think about. Mm-hmm. That's why like, I love talking about these kind of origin stories. I feel like it's, it's more common than I than I would have thought before I started this podcast that people find that their skill development, like singing and piano or whatever the skill is, uh, is kind of separate from their like creative development. I, I feel like it's kind of common. So do you remember wow. like what age you were when maybe that kind of creative development started like even just kind of totally in private? Yeah, I do remember because... There was a time when I started to understand and realize that people were actually creating songs okay, or music. Yeah. Not just songs, but just music in general. And that was something I was obviously familiar with at that point. I played Suzuki piano okay. for years and years and years. Ear training Phoenix in there. Boys Choir. Yeah. So there, I just, the, the concept that these songs existed because someone created them yeah. was lost on me up until, gosh, maybe my final, like my final years of high school, okay. senior year of high school, and then coming back from my mission. 
Okay. Two or three years later, and, okay. my, and I had a buddy. He was involved with music. Jordan Keith. Were you in music with him at all? He was I didn't a, go to BYU. I, I don't know oh, if that's yeah. That's right. You were in Texas. Yeah. 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 Okay. I just taught there. You taught so there I, I get. Were, I know it's yeah. confusing because I'm like, I actually I did do two semesters at BYU as a when I was 18, but I wasn't in the music program. I was just taking generals so that I could go go to UNT. Yeah, I got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah, but um, I was. I don't know. Like, I wasn't in school with like any of all those great kind of people. There, yeah. There's peers around here. Everybody that I can, I can name off people like Mindy Gledhill. Yeah. I went to school with Mindy. Well, I, we, I remember we talked about that when we mm-hmm. did that, um, commercial music expo thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, sometimes I get a little sad because I hear like all of you BYU people, like you have this camaraderie and like, I have people like that, but they're not here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. That would be actually, I, I stuck around because of that camaraderie. I'm yeah, not from it here. It is obviously. like a bit heartbreaking sometimes. Yeah. Like, Hey, there are people who like I have memories with. Yeah. They're just not here. You know? <laughs> College was weird though because it was so like we were still like the we're getting tangent here. So Yeah, please go oh. ha- go for it. So I'll at bring BYU you back. we were the media music program, which was the popular music, right, contemporary new. songwriting. We were in the K and B building, which doesn't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Old studio. We were kind of the Boy Scout troop down the hill, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. Ron Simpson called that's it. That's the that. one that's like across from the law school. That mm-hmm. old building, like where the music dance theater used to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a little farther south did, from the law um, school. I did a Young Ambassadors camp, summer yep, camp. Yeah, that was here. Young Ambassadors, yeah. like, home that forever. Was their land. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was where we were at. And yeah. We were just kind of the, the, I don't know, BYU was highly classical, choral, very traditional yeah. forms of music. And so when we came in with our pop music and singing and vocal new. point and acapella, yeah. oh, we were just kind we of, we were kind of like looked down on. I, yeah, I know that's such I, a I'm thing. Not there. kind of, we were unfortunately. And I came up very naive thinking that, Oh, everybody just loves each other. It's, it's BYU and everyone's nice. And that, cause it's, that's how we're supposed to be as Mormons. And it's nasty. There and then sometimes. I got there. I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, not to name any names, but leaders, the higher ups in the programs were the yeah. ones instilling this like. I mean, I know it well because I was faculty there. <laughs> God. OK, so you, you heard even more know. than I did. Yeah. yeah. So the teachers and the, and the people, I'm just like, I, I found it very disheartening and actually very yeah. closed minded. Totally. And very unkind in a way that I didn't expect because I was like, how could someone like hate pop music like okay there's parts of it that are awful but there's also parts of some classical music that's as pretentious and pompous and as it was in those days like just just don't think that the thing you're doing is the exceptionally superior because it's real music i know it's really stupid i was just like you gotta be kidding me that's one thing that at unt in texas none of that i mean i felt like there was kind of none of that there. Like That's students so cool. could be in like, you know, the jazz band and also like the Baroque ensemble and no one thought it was weird. Good. There was kind of room for everything. There would be like, there's like a Frank Zappa class. There was like, yeah. you know, a class that did like just kind of funk, like Earth, Wind and Fire Tower Amazing. Power. And there was no like... The faculty were not possessive over like, well, these are my students. Like you can't have my students in like the opera, you know, or like it was very just like hard. It was very just like, hey, students, whatever lights you up, do that. And And so when I connected totally and when I moved to when I moved here and started teaching at BYU, I was shocked Yep, because it wasn't like the culture I was used to. Yep, And people would be like, well, Emily, like this is how things are. And I would just be like, 
but why? It doesn't make any sense. Like, no, that's just the way that things are this, here. That's what I mean. Like it, it, it this is not a given. Wow. Yeah. I hope someone's listening right now who has any form of connection to that. And even who knows if anyone that we're talking about would be listening, but yeah. I hope someone in those realms can, and anyone that's looking towards music at BYU or around, like if that is in your world and there's some kind of like yeah. superiority to certain styles of music, you're gonna have to find a way to get rid of that. Quick. Root it out of there. It yeah. is not, it's not real. Well, it's just cultural. Just, I talk about this. I'm like, I get, I will get on such a soapbox about this too. Yeah. But like with my students, you know, my students will sometimes, cause they, lots of the people who decide to take lessons from me, take lessons from me because I'm not classically trained. Like I have my, my degrees are in jazz studies, which is, you know, as you know, much more similar to mm -hmm. like commercial more voice. popular styles yeah yeah so a lot of people kind of seek me out I think because of that and as a result like a lot of my students will kind of thumb their nose up at classical music or no. Broadway and I would just feel like don't you know that like all of your favorite pop stars like love Broadway yeah. <laughs> like well, they are inspired by like those singers I will and speak candidly here I am not a musical theater fan but I in no way find it to be inferior uh, totally I, I just personally don't resonate with some of the style and up. some of the emotional sure. aspect and the the because it's the stage you have to over animate right. like some of that right. just really doesn't appeal to my personal character right but not because I don't think they're talented not because I don't yeah. think they've worked their asses off and not because I don't think it actually has benefit to the entire global musical yeah. realm that they're actually adding well, to the if repertoire you're like a teenager and you have a flat affect like working on Broadway music is one of the best ways to get you to like, just to connect to like the singer songwriter stuff you want to do. Mm -hmm. Like let's to go all the way down more. that. Yeah. And then, yeah. And there's actually great, there's great lessons in them. They were totally the social uh, engines at the time to talk mm -hmm. about things that were controversial. And I really appreciate that, mm -hmm. but I just, you know, there's certain tones and styles of the vocals it, it yeah, doesn't like resonate you, to my ears. My opinion is like you get to make those decisions as an adult. And when you're learning and you're a kid, yeah. like, and if you don't like it, that's ears. fine. But not yeah. liking it doesn't mean it in any way means it's, it's inferior. Right. And that was the thing at BYU that, you or, or something. that it's somehow like a, a lesser form of music. And those that do it are lesser in any yeah. way. And I'm just over any of that. Yeah, like that is totally complete agree. bullshit. And anyone delving into that needs a, 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 a true a check. A reality check. Just come on. Uh, like, you like gotta be kidding me. It's jealousy and it's competitiveness it's and it's emotional um, immaturity, scarcity mentality. It's and, so dumb. Yeah, very dumb. It's so dumb. And, I, and, and if there's anyone out there that's like feeling attacked right now, <laughs> this is a big warm hug of. Time to time to yeah. to level up. It is a gentle attack, frankly. It's, yeah, like that that stuff won't work. Like, yeah. and if I you have in, a feeling it, that yeah. that's not my audience. Okay, so maybe I just made a bunch of new friends. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so you you I want to kind of know more about like how your creativity was developing, so we can talk about both like how your skills were developing to the point okay. that you. So let's maybe do that first. So, so yeah, from, my, from a teen. From a young age, my mom had me in piano. She was okay. a piano teacher herself. And when she started to become less effective for me, I would go to other teachers okay. that she had. Um, I didn't practice often, but I'd always nail my recitals. Okay. I'd, I'd I learned to memorize. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I learned to memorize really well. That was a, a developable skill that I used for, and I think it was because of Suzuki. Yeah. It was ear training oh, first. And so I just started memorizing stuff super fast. And then my, so my sight reading wasn't as good and that 
kind of that's messed like with my the teachers. Suzuki problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't do Suzuki method, but my husband's mom is a Suzuki piano teacher. And I always think if I had kids, I would put them in Suzuki. Like I would rather. It's a quick way to get them to like start doing a lot of things. Beautiful musicality. I feel like it's more personally as a pretty good sight reader. I feel like it's maybe more valuable than. Than sight reading. Like it's easier to learn sight reading later, I think. But like I don't know because I was good. Well, I, was I had to do it eventually in BYU. I, you know, the whole sight singing class, and yeah. that was one of my and toughest learning classes. ear training later is harder. Yeah. I think I don't the way, the fact that I even got into BYU was crazy because they had to do the oral skills examination. Yeah, I had never done any of that. Yeah, yeah I yeah. barely passed like by one point. Yeah. the first time, but I passed. So I did, I was doing piano from a young age. I had um, then I like I mentioned I was in the Phoenix Boys Choir. Yeah, these are all things that my mom enrolled me in and had me do. And then school starts to happen. You're in the choirs at school. I was in band at school. I played okay. the trumpet. Awesome. How, when did you start that? Fifth grade. Okay. And was that like, just like pick an instrument or like, did you, is there, do you remember? I, picked like, the, I, picked, I think I picked trumpet just because I thought it was the most appealing to me at the time. Okay. I, I'd like drums and stuff too, but trumpet, I think we also had one around. Okay. So we didn't have to rent one. We didn't have to buy any equipment. It was an easier, cheaper way to get in. So yeah. I just started going with it. And then I eventually started liking it because it was like the loudest one in the, uh, yeah. you know, and were, like what super were you brash. listening to at that age, like Never, just for fun? Um, like well, in your kind of early teens. Early teens. Okay. Early teens was, so a lot of radio where I was at was country. Okay. But early teens started getting me into more, I, I was singing in the choir and stuff. So I started to gravitate towards like boys to men. Okay. So okay. my huge, R&B. I started to learn about and hear that people could sing with this, this virtuosity that I had never understood. You mean like riffing and stuff? Riffing yeah. and also with the passion behind it, the emotion. Yeah. It wasn't the, the, the like straight laced, coral, like zipped up. make your yeah. vowels big and everybody sound the same. Yeah. You got to be actually having kind of cool. a personality for me. So that was kind of getting in, but you still weren't really like thinking about like, composition like that was not on the radar no but it, it okay. very much went from piano to i was always singing but i was always just singing as singing someone else's another music. voice yeah, yeah i was yeah. i was trying okay. to match something rather sure. than having my own thing which is normal, it's normal. at those ages yeah, yeah. but, but not- it is kind of it is kind of an interesting thing to be like a little bit older and then kind of go like oh my gosh i could write things yeah so yeah. i i the first stuff i wrote was piano music Okay. Not and not like songs and not school? singing. Um, yeah. Okay. okay. Simple stuff. Just kind of goofing but around I started and like, making pretty sounds. Yeah. And just kind of like picking notes that sounded good. I wasn't doing it based off of any theory. Okay. I hadn't yeah. I'd taken theory, but I didn't understand it. I wished I would have understood it more at those ages, yeah. getting into composition later. Now it like, would have blown my mind. Like, oh, I should have known my I theory like, so much better, but it was so boring to me and pointless at the time. Yeah, I did not understand the reasoning for the theory. I know. It was I just something like I had to do. That is something that I wish teachers would generally do better at is explaining to kids like why theory is powerful. Yeah. Um, like the like understanding these tools makes you like literate in a way that you can be in charge of the music you're making. Even even if we're just talking about like arranging, you know, just like tiny, tiny things of like knowing how to end your song, you know, like just these little things, like having even just a very rudimentary understanding. Or just even understanding why songs were, I I don't know if I could have understood at the time, but maybe the teachers weren't aware of how to do it. But these songs are written this way because 
there's all these rules and things underneath. They're not just playing random notes and they just work together. Right. Because you're lost well, in that translation. Or like one thing that I'll say to my students sometimes is like you can spend a bunch of time just like goofing around and like and you waiting until you like discover something. And that's fine. But like at some point, if you want to really make this like a skill, you need to have a little bit more like it needs to be more actionable and less just like exploratory you need some some context and, and structures to like well, settle just, your ideas into, it also yeah. just takes too much time to discover. it's like every time you're writing something yeah. you're kind of just yeah you know at some point you've got to harness that 100%. a little so, I, don't, I don't even know how people do it now that don't know theory and don't even read music like a good friend of mine dustin christensen's a, an amazing songwriter mm. signed with a publisher in nashville has written major wow. stuff doesn't read music does he mostly do like top lining Yes and no. Okay. I mean, he does top lining, but he 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 sits on the guitar and he'll plunk wow. stuff out. But he just, he just kind of figures it I out. I think he's kind of a savant in a couple of ways. He sure. Just he knows, like yeah. I know, if I go to this, it works, and then eventually he learned. Oh, that's the five. Okay, well, I knew it was working. Sure, sure, kind sure. Of stuff. So yeah, it's just like in his ears. So during your teens, were you doing any like writing or like I don't mean music writing, but just like no. Okay, so there's no. You weren't really yet doing any like creative output. You were participating, but I would read like I was actually more probably better at math. Okay. Like geometry, I got a hundred hundred percent on my final. My when you year. like reflect back on like just how your brain works and like <laughs> you know the kinds of things like, do you feel like you can relate any of that? Or maybe even like one of the things I love to talk about is like, you know how we just like think about people and like being you know interacting with our friends like. You know, it's okay if you don't have an answer, but like, as you think back, like, do you feel like you were building any of those kind of creative connections? So this is, this is very, I love this. Um, Great. I was a jock probably okay. first. Okay. So football I, mostly. I played football. I also played basketball. Okay. I was also heavy into swimming. Okay. Um, awesome. Any and baseball, like I, we kind of did a lot because that was also part of the culture of our family. Was, yeah, was music and like sports. Every season, you're doing yeah. whatever she sport signed is us happening. Up. I mean, then. even in high school, I was waking up at six a.m. to do swim team. Yeah, stuff, so that's so, such an Arizona thing. Like, probably uh, everybody does swim team. Like, I did swim team, and I'm like the least athletic person of all time. <laughs> but like, I also it, got like, up kept really me in early shape and... for the other things, and I didn't even know I was doing it. Yeah, so it's good for your lungs too. Oh, absolutely. For singing, yeah. I mean, yeah. all things considered, it was like, why? it's not a bad thing. It's just it wasn't my choice. Yeah, yeah. So No, no, I'm saying the same thing. Like, yeah, it was like, we do swim team. In yeah. the same way that it's just like, you're going to do piano. Yeah. You're going to do, do swim team. We do quartet in high school. We do show choir. We do, right. we do, this is what we do, rather than, do you like it? Right, right, you, right. Do you enjoy it because you have a talent right. or a gift? But I, I mean, I think I was just aware of stuff i think because of the exposure to the music and um like she'd have us watching like the old musicals my fair lady amadeus yeah. sound of music right um oklahoma she was having us watch those things too so music was being present the lyrics weren't always i was i didn't care about the lyrics i was very much listening to melodies because of suzuki training. okay cool i think as a singer that was why i was more of a singer first than a songwriter because yeah, yeah. i was just listening you have how, how does the vocal sound yeah does this sound good Rather than what are they saying? When you were like a teen, did you like feel kind of hot about your voice? Like, did you feel like I'm a really good singer? Um, I didn't discover my, I guess, solo voice until I was probably a sophomore. Okay. In high school. In high school. Okay. Um, will you just like tell me what that, like what it was like from your perspective? Like, 
I imagine you started getting validation from some people. Like, just what was it kind of like for you? It was interesting. I more, more the initial validation came from church. Okay, singing in church. Yeah, mom would always sign us up to sing a solo in church. Yeah, and then choir kind of came around, and I was getting a solo on like a. It was like a Negro spiritual song. Yeah. Were you singing like soulfully back then? Uh, kind of. Okay. As soulful as I could, but without understanding kind what soul was. It out. Yeah. Because that's li- definitely what your voice feels like oh, now. It's, it's just built for that yeah. like, in all realms. But what, what do you, sorry, what do you mean by that? Like, oh, so the tone. Yeah. You the, just feel like that's where it sits. That's where it's at yeah, home. Yeah. I just, I, you know, and I have sleep apnea and allergies and I have this like things that go tough that just grit up the voice naturally yeah. and it's cool you're I, working like with it reflux I'm just like yeah. yeah so I'm just like <laughs> here's all this gravel in my voice it's also connected to the other side of my life which was sports which was super intense okay and passionate and like there was this like you know we're gonna win I'm, and I was a really really hard hitter in okay. football like yeah. I was a fullback and a linebacker okay it was a very intense form of of football for me, well, football's intense, but it yeah. was even more so. Sure. So soul music became this outlet of like highly aggressive and, okay. and, and emotional. Interesting. And very much being able to like well into like when I'm singing, wow. it's it's a it's a very big it's emotional like, and it's release. pretty physical too. And I, it's physical now that I play piano and sing together. Yeah. I'm all into it. Cool. And you get people moving, and there's an energy. That can not it doesn't necessarily aggressive, but it is it can be intense, right? It's kind of palpable. And like the high emotional songs were, that I've written have been. You were feeling some of that in high school, like beginnings of it, kind of brewing. Um, no. Okay. Not, not okay. yet. But so, I was just an angsty teenager who was yeah. droning out in in a tiny town, not knowing exactly who he was, and having not having outlets of things to, that made sense. It was just like this is what you do. And what you just kind fell into of it. feedback were you getting from peers and like authority figures? Well, I got the fe- I got the feedback that my voice was good, um, and probably more better than average for people that were also singing. Yeah, I mean, I sing at my high school reunion. Yeah, or not reunion, or graduation. graduation. I knew what you meant. And yeah. it was the, um, what's the Green Day song? Another turning point, the folks yeah. took in. That one, yeah, whatever yeah, that yeah. song's called. I and everyone was remember. like, oh, they like lost their minds. And I was like, yeah. oh. How yeah. did that, how did it feel to you? It was interesting because I was already in the quartets and singing and they like wanted me to sing the mo- the Star Spangled Banner at the football games. Yeah. And I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, too, I am playing I gotta football. be one thing here. The thing that was cool about where I grew up in, in all of its smallness and, and kind of isolatedness was that there was, it was small enough that you could do everything. So yeah. I was able to play football and be in the choir and in the quartets and not have it be like this weird, you're a choir nerd and you're a jock and you don't cross those lines. Yeah. At this school, you could. My high school was like that too. Like was it, it was okay. very weird, but I don't know. I mean, Mace is not a small town, but no. I do think those things are just cultural. Like they're more at acceptable. Mountain View High School, and I I think honestly it's kind of just like a like Arizona has this culture a little bit at least. Okay, I, I, I I'll think in that. the suburbs, it's Arizona slash Mormonism slash right. Just, like you don't like. There's not a homophobia in choir like there might be in some places in the world. I think like a lot in my high school anyway a lot of the jocks were in the choir and in the musicals. Like it was, it just I, and was I wonder like, at the time if they did it as like a, it was fun that the girls were there. Totally. Right. Totally. And, and, well, and like some of it, I think it was just like the 
high school had a really prestigious football program and a really prestigious choral program. And it's like, these are just the places where our school is like, this is where you're going to get yeah. to go on cool tours. They were tours attractive and... points of, of outlets for activities. Yeah. And, and if a, you know, if a guy could sing that he was on instantly knowing that that could have a social currency. Yeah. Yeah. So did you in high school, did you feel like your identity was kind of more in one or the other? I, w- I would, if I had to lean on something, it would have been sports, Okay, but I was glad I had the outlook for music Okay, and because of my background with my mom and the musical family I grew up in, that was always kind of just there. Sure. I didn't realize how kind of like took it for abnormal that might've been for other families. Okay. So yeah. it was just always there. And because of the uh, the scenario, I was able to do both and I'm yeah. glad I was able to, because if they had made me pick, I would have picked the sports. Sure. I was sure. built for sports too. I was thick and strong and yeah. and just kind of this girthy little Scottish guy yeah. that could like play football. That <laughs> yeah. was, it made sense. So yeah. the fact that I now make music that's kind of manly is this new it, spin on things is, that people weren't like, Oh, like most guys that sing end up being in a more of an, I don't know, not most guys. I don't want to assume anything, but like there's been more outlet for men that were more, be more effeminate yeah. in their way that they, there is they like sing. a very, like a whiskey vibe about like, yeah. <laughs> about the yeah. And that's something I didn't grow up in yeah. though. Americana and yeah. the Southern vibe again was in Arizona, Utah. Right. I, I didn't live down there. However, I do have some family from Kentucky. Yeah. So I don't know if there's like a genetic yeah, resonation on a, a cellular thing. level. That's yeah. like, you have some Southern blood, bro. And you can, you can sing this. <laughs> well, you, know? you did say there was country music mostly playing. Country is, was around and that yeah. has its, its touches into some good soul. Well, and yeah, maybe a combination of like that and like the choir even is kind of like a, I don't know. It they were finds all its working for, and... for the better. So how did you decide, tell me the story of like how you decided to like pursue music. So that's a very interesting I originally thought that you had to be a choir teacher or a band director or some form of academic, highly formal. Because that's what we see. That's what we see. see. There was no outlet for anything else where I grew up, this tiny town. Yeah. You didn't, songwriters weren't a thing. Gigging musicians weren't a thing because I didn't didn't even go to a live show until I was probably in my later teens. I didn't even know you could go to a venue and watch your favorite band. I felt the same. I was so isolated in the more academic sides of things. So... Um, so I was just very reticent to get into any type of musical career because I thought it had to be so much more academic and in my view at the time, boring. Okay. Yeah. So I very much shunned it and I went towards the medical side of things. My dad's a, a physician's assistant. Okay. He had grown up in that family and that idea and that culture. And I thought, okay, I want to be a doctor. Okay. Specifically a pediatrician. Cool. And that was because also I grew up around tons of kids. Yeah, you're and the, the oldest. oldest is seven. Right. My mom's oldest to 10. Everyone else yeah. was having a ton. There was always kids around, and I love kids. Yeah, cool. And so I was like, okay, I'll go into pediatrics. So I started studying at Eastern Arizona College okay. out of high school. And then I went on my mission, came back, graduated in pre-medical science. Wow. But I like have a- an associate's degree okay. in that. Okay. But while I was there at the school, I was doing all of the music stuff. I even had a scholarship okay. on a music side. And like at that time when you were like introducing yourself as like, I'm going to be a doctor what did it mean to like be like? Well, I also do these music things. Like, I just want to know kind I of how you were seeing. I thought it was just going to be rounding your... me out. I thought yeah. it was just a, like something I loved to do and I would have as a hobby and a side thing. But my money and my life and my career mm. would be in something more traditional, more noble, more uh, widely accepted and understood. Yeah. It just fit all of the safe, you know, checklist sure. 
points. And at this point, was music like something that you kind of had you like realized yet that it was sort of like a necessity for like your well-being? I had like your soul? because up to that point in my life, I had always done music. Just, so I never knew of, it without it. Sure. If and so when I even when I came to BYU, I was doing music. I, I came up to to school to do music specifically. I graduated okay. from EA, and I went to work at the University of. Do you know what EA, Eastern Arizona College? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I went over to work at the University of Phoenix to get a business degree because you okay. get you get free school through them. Okay. And okay. I was like an online admissions counselor when they were like everyone sure. was going to online school. You were and being I was scrappy. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. And I was going to be a business major. And I was going to use that to get into medical school as okay. take the MCAT and then move on. So at that time I was in school, not doing music. Okay. And I was, I was going crazy. Yeah. And I actually had a buddy of mine that was there with me at this university of Phoenix. His name's Seth and Seth was dying too. And he's like, you know what, dude, I'm out of here. I'm going to BYU. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll try that. Cause I'm hating this cubicle farm life. And I don't think medicine's for me. And in the meantime, I'd had a broken engagement okay. that came about that helped me yeah. change life Extra perspectives. heartbreak, yeah. So yeah, it was, <clears throat> I transitioned from the idea of medicine um, from a broken engagement, told me like, oh, maybe I should try some new stuff in life. Or yeah. maybe I don't like, you know, science as much as I thought I did. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I don't like the idea of, of crazy debt and school for 12 years. Maybe... Did you have pushback, like when you were, tr- you know, maybe starting to kind of, like, throw out these ideas of like I might pursue mu- pursue music? Like, did the people you care about? No. They what did they? What In did fact, they do? the the whole concept of it starting for me came from a my grandmother sent me a clip of the BYU singers. Okay, they like wanted you to do it. That's crazy. That's crazy. And How it, and when like, she sent it to me, I was I actually put me into tears because I was like. You felt seen. I felt, well, I also felt like there's an outlet here of something. I, I, at the time I just said, I need to give this a try rather than this is my life. And your parents were just like, yeah, do it. Because at the time I'm going to BYU and I'm probably getting in their minds going into something safe, like teaching. Okay. Or I'd be like the next Michael McLean. Okay. Or my, my, uh, uncle at the time was the Dean of music at BYU Hawaii. Okay, so there were like they they had maybe a bit of a template in their minds of like what this can yeah, be. Yeah, the and outlets can be were like something that they're like, oh yeah. Uncle so maybe Jim it wasn't it. you weren't seen in quite the way that like, and maybe you didn't know yet. But, I didn't know. Yeah. No, I didn't know. And I, so I was getting into media music, which appealed to me way more than any of the classical ed, sides of yeah, any music of that, ed, and music ed or, or pedagogy or anything. So I just. I was like, okay, I'll get into this. Is like songwriting, and at the time, I did have a little bit of like songs that I'd shown them that I'd done with my buddy who was now at BYU in That's this music Seth. program. This is a different one, oh, different Jordan friend. Keith. Yeah. Okay, you mentioned him. Before. So Seth came up with me from from being at the business school, but I had another buddy who went directly from Eastern Arizona College right to BYU. You had like a little cohort music this when whole you got time. there already. Yeah, he's actually still here. He teaches as a choir teacher. And, cool. Um, yeah. So, so what happened? Like. How did you kind of, like, I'd love to know kind of how you started becoming like an artist versus like a guy who's interested in music. Okay. You know, they're not the same, right? Definitely yeah. not. Um, so BYU is my first ability to say I am doing music. So I had to even get like over that imposter syndrome of like. That's, yeah, I wanted to like, ask about that I'm too. I'm a musician. Like, like okay, but I, I, I didn't learn how to play the piano and sing until I was at 
BYU. Yeah. I was 20. Did you feel like you had to like kind of apologize for it or prove yourself or like? No. Okay. I think my confidence from being a successful jock and a successful musician before I had some inner confidence. You just had some mojo. A little bit. Cool. I wasn't going to, someone wasn't going to tell me what I could and couldn't do. And, but I didn't realize that that was like confidence. I just thought like, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Well, yeah. And also like, I'm sure you see this in retrospect, but that confidence is, I'm sure there were so many of your peers that didn't have anything like that. That felt like much more kind of... And it wasn't attached to music. I had this confidence that came from like these other ventures that I had done, yeah. which was, you know, sports. And I was actually top 10 in my class yeah. academically. Um, I'd had a lot of support and kind yeah. of the the upholding of like, you can do things. And yeah. I started to believe that. And yeah. so when I got into being an artist, there was naivety to me okay. about yeah. this doesn't work out for some people. And this actually can be a very long, wow. heartbreaking road. And yeah. And there was so going back though to BYU gave me the chance to start singing as a soloist with Vocal Point. Okay. And that was a group, and we started for to the tour listener. A bit. Vocal Point's like BYU's kind of flagship, like acapella group, and yeah. they're they're pretty prestigious. They're it's a nine man acapella group. They've been around for almost I think thirty years yeah. now. And when we were there, we were the first group to win the international championship for collegiate acapella. Cool. And they are now signed to Decca Records and they have millions of millions of views on YouTube. And yes, they're, they're a legit and they have continually grown. And I got into, into it at another level up session for them. They, they hadn't had really, they hadn't had up to that point an artist necessarily come in and be part of the group, which I was developing in it too at the time Okay, to create an identity around someone and even have them be part of a group. So I didn't realize that till later. Okay. But BYU gave me the chance to. To, to jump into that, we were writing songs. I was connecting with people that were like-minded, yeah. that were writing songs, that were more artists. I saw the difference between the classical majors and these media music majors yeah. and how I just drastically resonated with different... them so much more. Yeah. Even humor and right. understanding of music and social interaction yeah. ability, like social awkwardness, like all those yeah. things. I started to see... Okay, I can still do music, but there's this subset of people that actually yeah. do music in a way that makes makes me feel way more comfortable. Totally. So I started to to play out a little bit, um, probably to like my third or fourth year of being here at BYU. No, I, I no, it was after I graduated from BYU that I started playing out. How how did you kind of start? Like, how did you begin to build this idea of like what kind of an artist you wanted to be? Who else was involved in kind of helping you create that vision? Yeah, if I anyone. Love this. So I sang an open mic night at Valor. Okay. And Corey Fox came up to me afterward and hooked me up with um, McKay Stevens. Okay. McKay Stevens is a singer-songwriter who's now in L.A. working with a bunch of huge people. And awesome. It was the first time that it, I someone had heard and seen me and saw me more than just as part of a group, like the vocal yeah. point or a music student at BYU. They're like, there's something about your voice that is its own that's thing gonna, like make me cry that's so like precious <laughs> i feel to have someone it was you know Corey, in those kind of tender of ages yeah valor and Corey himself has done that for a lot of people here that and i was 20 geez i was 27 28 at the time okay yeah because again i didn't i came to byu at 25 it was a little bit later yeah a little later i hadn't taken any voice lessons in my life okay up to yeah. that point other than the vocal training with the, like bo- in your the boys choir okay yeah and with but those were the first lessons with with Gail Lockwood. 
Wow. Okay, cool. And then I learned, I was playing, I always played piano, but I'd never paired them. Okay. Started doing that. Wow. Okay. That was BYU. And um, so was Corey and what was the other guy's name? Mitch. McKay. McKay. Mm-hmm. Um, were they kind of like, dude, like, look at these artists. Like, you could be a guy like this. Like, they did they kind of yeah, plant that vision? Yeah, people started pointing that... me towards, like, Bill Withers. Okay. Okay. Which was this, like, soul singer, songwriter. I love Bill Withers. Yeah, Ain't No Sunshine. Yeah. I'd heard that song before I'd ever came up here in, what's that movie? It was a highly popular movie with... Um, Julia Roberts, Notting Hill. Okay, I was gonna say it's like on the tip of my tongue. First time like I'd ever my heard that best song. Friend's wedding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was that. <clears throat> um. So yeah, the soul thing started to make sense, but at the time they didn't know if it was gonna be like R and B soul. Sure. Or if it was gonna be this more organic. Well, and how did soul. you feel like having these kind of older authority figures? Like, like did you kind of feel like hell yeah, I'm like gonna be an artist and like, no. what did it feel like to you? I just thought that I was getting a chance to, it was very gradual. I didn't have any sights set for something big. Okay. I was just like, I like making music. I like writing songs. Like, this is so fun. And how did it feel to have them like kind of believing in you like that? That was the first time that it ever had that glimmer, a glimpse of like, maybe I can, this is something a little bit more maybe like, yeah, but it was still the, the Provo scene, which was at that time big to me because I was in culture shock just moving to Provo. Right. right, I'd been there three years, but not part of a scene. Right. Provo has its own music scene. I know. never experienced that. Yeah. So that was new. Very new. And then, so how long was that but between, like, between that and doing The Voice? So I did The Voice in 2013. I graduated from BYU in 2008. Okay. So there was about five years there of me starting to learn how to play out, uh, working as a server at Red Robin so that I could have enough time to try other things. Um, when you say play out, you just mean like gigging, right? You just Gigging wherever I could in okay. the simplest of ways, right? Yeah, like yeah. The, the most menial gigs, like someone asking you to play in the corner of their little tiny crepe shop yeah, yeah. for no dollars Yeah. on a, on, on the crappiest little um, sound little, system. Yeah, um, little PA. To, to getting kind of little things here and there. I, eventually, I started to play, and this is the transition. I saw I was playing all those little gigs. I was at Red Robin. I hated my life as a server because it just sucked the life out of my soul. Yeah. So eventually, I got asked to play a lounge gig. This was after... Cool. And th- was this in like a Park City kind of thing? This was at Montage up okay. in Deer Valley, which I yeah, still yeah. play today, which I'm still playing cool. tonight. Awesome. Yeah, I play two, three nights a week. Cool. And that was a transition into being a full-time musician. I was making 200 bucks a gig cool, for four hours of playing. I initially turned it down because I was overwhelmed with the thought of having to get four hours of music together. Yeah. That's and something people don't think about. No. I was just thinking about that yesterday because like I sing in a wedding band with that's like a that's like a mo- a money maker for me so that yeah. I can like make my yeah, albums that are artsy and yeah, yeah um, kind of niche. Um, but like, you know, singing four sets of like high intensity pop music is like just knowing that much music is would be overwhelming to a lot of people who like are singers, you know, like people who are like, well, I like to sing like. Can you even fathom singing four hours? Well, couple that with having to learn it on right, piano. learn like learn the piano, or like when <clears> I do <throat> wedding gigs, I also run the entire PA. Like I bring the PA, I run the PA, I run the sound. I'm also doing the booking. Mm-hmm. You know, like people forget to think. So much like work. it's easy to look at 
you know, someone singing, I will survive and be like, I could totally do that. But you're forgetting. That's not like, the only thing you're doing. Yeah. All that's, of these things. Like you get, it's like 20% of your hustle is what they see. Right. Right. They get to see you on stage singing and having fun. And half the time you might've been like super tired from the gig the night before. Right. Your voice is kind of trash because you've been over singing. You are, you've, you've got money. You've got all Fritos your life. from gas stations yeah. all day. You've sang that song 5,000 times. Yeah. And yet at that one moment, they're seeing you perform as a professional and they're so into it. Yeah. Because you're doing your job. Right. Yeah. Not getting on stage and being like, I love this. Yeah. No, there's so much work going into it, yeah. which also helps them understand, if they could understand, why we charge what we charge. Right. Because <laughs> right. it's not just, we charge what we charge because we can get on stage for an hour and a half and make this look like the simplest, nicest, yeah. funnest, put together thing and all the background work to get it, to make that happen is yeah. what you actually pay for. Right. Totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so yeah, I get that. Yeah. And so- I... What happened in between? What else? What else was important between like deciding to go on The Voice? So I tried out for The Voice five times, okay. or I tried out for shows five times, two times for American Idol, three times for The Voice. Okay, and I didn't make it until the fifth time. Do you want to say anything about? Well, I was thinking about this yesterday. I think I just, I mean, maybe because I'm having these conversations, maybe because, you know, I don't know. There's a million reasons, but I'm always kind of thinking about like success versus perceived success versus, Mm. you know, all these things. And I think a lot of times when people see someone on the voice or whatever, they imagine that that person was, has always been undeniable, like that this was just going to happen, which if we know is not true, there are tons of incredible musicians and singers who for many reasons never get a slot on a a show like that or never get radio play or, you know, whatever. Would you, as a person who was on The Voice, like to like talk about kind of what it means and doesn't mean? So for the, just to set up context for them, those TV shows are designed to make money. Yeah. And the entire scope of what they look at is how can this get us money ratings? So casting, they're casting you for a role. You just have to be able to sing. That's one of the components. The other elements are your look, your story, or anything else that they can leverage to their advantage to sell. Like maybe you're, there's so many different variations, but like what's a quirky, interesting human that we, that also sings that we can put on the show. Yeah. So they're first and foremost, the success of those shows is more dependent upon um, things other than your voice. Yeah, of course. So come yeah. in and sing. And, but if you're, you know, if you're, if you're not even that, you're not like, if you are unmemorable in any way to them, and that's dependent upon the season before. Right. The other shows that are on TV at the same time. Right. The context of what is popular at the moment. Yeah. Um, actually this year we just need a guy with a big old beard yeah. we don't, because we just haven't had one yet. Yeah. Oh, this guy came on. He's, he's a decent singer. Okay. Right. There's the beard guy. Right, right. Oh, he's a little older. We can say this is his last shot. That's, that This was me. Yeah. My fifth time. Oh, my gosh. So that's there's, so crazy. Yeah. So the casting of the shows, successful or not, like that, you, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's its own level of success to a certain degree. Yes, you're on a TV show and then people instantly think of you different because you're on a TV show and they saw yeah. you and like, oh, I know him from high school. And it's like the marketing machines and, and yeah. the human nature plays in because now there's this like, oh, they did the thing. But it was just one day to the next, nothing changed. Yeah, I was in LA at the time. 
I just happened to have an audition. Yeah. I was 32 years old. I didn't care if I got on the show or not because I was already gigging as a musician. You were in L. You had moved to L. I hadn't moved to L. A. I was just happened to be there for okay, for okay, studio work and stuff. Um, I moved to Utah like right while you were on The Voice. Okay, and I remember I was doing some. I think like David Halliday had hired me to sing in his number ones band for Mm -hmm. like a gig, like the normal person he hired, like wasn't available or something. And I went over there to do a rehearsal and like you were on that night and everybody knew you, Mm -hmm. like everyone was friends with you. And I I just like, remember that. I just remember being like, Ryan's on tonight and being like, I don't know. Well, the show was new at the time. Like the concept of being on a talent show, wasn't new. American Idol had been around, right. but the voice, the voice was, was new. It was yeah. the new one. It was the fourth season. Yeah. And it was this whole concept that they don't look at someone, right? Their backs right, turn to you right, and they right. flip their chair if they like you. So the concept was a little cooler. It was a newer show. Um, they seemed to treat people better and differently than American Idol. So yeah, there was still even nuance to the fact that it was a new show. Right. And it was a local Utah guy who had been singing around and yeah. So what did it mean to you? Um, you don't have to say anything about being on the show. I'm sure you've talked about that a ton. But what did it mean to you like when you were done? Like how did it change your career or um I or your identity or just I don't know. Yeah, so I I I was doing a lot of work at the time with like a life coach. Okay. Cool. Uh, and even on like the energy side, energy cool. healer. Her name's cool. Trina Harmon. Awesome. Trina's awesome. I had to talk with her after I got off the show because I had some serious like um, voids that like happened, mm. and I, I felt I felt untethered. I, cool. I like my old life wasn't the same, but I had no idea what the new life was going to be like. And I was sitting in this middle ground of complete confusion. I came home to my house, and I felt like a stranger. Why? Was it just like you were on the cusp of something or like... Well, just my my life had drastically changed in a few months. Because of the show. Because of the show. Okay. And even in, not even just like my life, but like I had changed. Yeah. like how? My life was going to become what it was because of what I was, because of who I had become. But like at that moment, the energy exchange was now... Mm. You just mean like you had a different kind of confidence or... I don't know. This is... A, it's great to go back and listen... If I remember right for what she said, it's like you had how many eyes yeah. on you? You had how many hearts? Right. You had how much like tethering to you, like strings of people that were like, yay, this, Ryan. Like, and people that like just dis- just discovered something sure. new, some new voice. And I mean, I even trended on Twitter worldwide for like five That's seconds. That's got to be a trip. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea what this, what are we doing? I just sang Gravity. That's my favorite song from John Mayer. Like, what are you Right. And that's so, the one I saw. That's the one that, yeah. that's the one that was that, that night. And um, it was such a whirlwind. I'd met so many new people. I'd had to put myself in different spaces. Yeah. There was a lot of emotional change and growth as a human in those months that was kind of like on cr- steroids. Yeah. And so coming back to normal life, slowed down sure. who I was before felt so was, I different. have to imagine it's like, just the sheer like opening up of like, these are different types of people. Like, especially if you've kind of been yeah. like in a bit of a sheltered environment. I mean, I'm sure I wasn't as sheltered then, but I hadn't spent as much time in LA. Like one of the girls sure. that was on the show was, was the, the girl from the Michael Jackson documentary, Judith Hill. Okay. Just an unreal talent. Yeah. She even walked in the room and looked like a star, like she yeah. was a star. And I was like floored. 
Um, yeah, it just kind of like cracks your brain open of like what's even out there, like, I imagine. Yeah. And now I'm not really surprised by anything or anybody. But at the time, I just hadn't had the exposure. I was in Burbank at a hotel on a TV show that people knew my name. And and I was just a singer from Utah that liked to sing soul music and had a big beard and whatever. And so when you got back home, were you feeling like a grief because it was over? Or were you feeling like more like, oh, my gosh, I have I to like- lost. Okay. Yeah. A little bit of like a, I came home that's to my, over and now yeah, what? I have a, something was different. My life had changed so much. So in those, of course, it or I like had you changed. You can't go back. You can't like reverse I moved, it. I moved from that house. Okay. I was in a basement apartment in Salt Lake. I came vibe. home and I, I felt, um, I guess maybe a little depressed or something. I don't know, but I felt, it felt empty. I felt like a stranger. I felt lost. Yeah. And so eventually after that, I eventually moved into my cabin that I have now okay. that I've been talking about forever. And so that was now like, what, eight years ago, something like that? It's, it's 2021. So, yeah. Eight years. So, okay. Um, the things that I, I love more than anything to talk about on this podcast are like, what are the things that we know about being artists that we don't usually get to talk about or that oh. people don't ask about? Or that we don't think is actually special, but other people are like, what? That's amazing. Totally. Yeah. So I love talking about that stuff. And that's why the podcast is called Artifice. Cause it's like the unknown, mm-hmm. like the sheen of the outside versus, you know, whatever. I also love to talk about like maybe the kind of struggles that we have that people don't think about. Um, Interesting. And also just like, you know, what are our kind of like identities and values as artists? Why, why do we think it matters? Why do we yeah. do it even though it's complicated? Yeah. So I know that's a lot, but in this kind of like last little bit is we're kind of talking about um, like what, what, what I love this because it's just like about? the heart of artists that, yeah. so there's always the perception of what we are to people because for one, they've had their favorite artists that have been put through huge marketing machines and the pictures are always nice and Spotify's songs are super clean and simple and there it's more of a product, right? It's more of this uh, asset that has been created in their social life that they can either share like, Oh, we're going to go see the, um, Coldplay. Yeah. But Coldplay represents this like cool thing rather than necessarily the humans it's behind like a it. brand yeah it's a brand and it's a vibe and Experience. it's a it's a memory for them it's sure. the nostalgia of their life that how it's fit into their world right and it was the poster on the wall that was like super nice to come into in their bedroom so it became we are i've loved to be becoming an artist and seeing behind the stage because now i understand all of those things are connected to people and humans right. and decisions and lives and heartbreak and emotions and and the music became way more real rather than the commodity. Yeah. So I had to get over that from my own side because I, mm. again, I didn't get into the sales later. So the commodity of music became less and less and less and less of a thing. And it became more about the reality of a heart of a, of an artist yeah. speaking about things that, that he or she loves or hates or yeah. is figuring out or even just storytelling, but from right. the idea of a world of a life they've lived that has components of reality to it. Sure. Um, so that was one thing was just learning about that there's people behind these. It's not a commodity. You don't just go see a band to be like, we're going to go see so-and-so. But it's like, totally. who are they? Well, and that like, I mean, that sentence that you're saying of like, there's people behind it. Like, it seems obvious, but you're so right. Like people don't, yeah. the general public does not realize that. No. Like, or, or like, and this, and this is kind of maybe similar to what I was saying before. Like, I think we think that when someone becomes famous or they become visible, that they were like destined for this. And no. it was like this undeniable, Mm-mm. but like, they're just, they're just like a person. Like the that difference between yeah. like, 
as much more well-known as you are than me, like the people who are that more well-known than you, like we're all, like, I think we're all just, we're all kind of the same We'd all type sit in the person. same room and have, have conversations as musicians yeah. and just have like the normal conversation. But, but then the money behind us. So, so someone's like, you know, let's say the killers. It's okay. Brandon Flowers lives here in Utah. He's a yeah. good dude. He's actually kind of a shy guy. Yeah. He keeps to himself yeah. and he's, he's a very, he's a sweetheart of a man. And, but you get on stage and he is a dynamic yeah. kind of aloof personality. He's, he dresses well and his voice isn't the typical pop voice, but everything pieced together with all the band members and the way that they're dressed and the way their stage setup looks and the designs and the lights and the stage and everything's like, it's a presentation, right? right, right. It's trying to make people feel a certain way. Him and larger than life larger in a way that's life. not really real. I mean, yeah. it's real in that moment and that's special and that does mean something, but it's a cathartic thing. And but it's, it's not like he walks around his life as no. that guy no like he has a home where his his child is in the next room crying because he needs his diaper changed right you know yeah, like he's a yeah. real dude and he's speaking from things about struggles with like when he wrote his, his solo album he talks about some of those things more yeah. so there's different like the band thing is way less able to be as intimate as a singer songwriter which i gravitate towards those more sure. because of the intimacy and then even down to to music that doesn't have words and people don't even know how to like what they're supposed to do with it, right. the instrumental stuff um it's really easy for people to get lost into, again, the commodity and the marketing and the deifying and the idolizing of of the band itself and the yes. brand or the human that they think they know, like a Brandon Flowers. Yeah. And to be completely disconnected from the reality of those humans and their struggles as a life, uh, like making money as a musician is not easy, yeah. right? You have some very specific ways and then some very creative, wide open ways that yeah. can just be devastating at times to try and others can work and you don't know so the money-making side of it like i'm i'm specifically writing music for licensing for film and tv commercials i may may or not put my name on it you might hear a song come out for me they're like that's an interesting song for mine i'm actually writing it so i can get on a tv show or a movie or a commercial or an advertising campaign that may not be my heart that i'm sharing with you at the moment because i'm trying to make a living then the next song will come out and it's about it is about my childhood and it is about wide open kind of creative spaces and then the next song might actually be completely disconnected from my life in any way and I just wanted to make it it was right. fun right. I have that luxury now because I'm in that middle ground of not having some huge multi-million dollar marketing campaign that I need to fulfill and right. and and agencies that need to make their money off me and I'm also not just doing this as a side hobby thing there's this middle ground here that right. I live in so um this is maybe like kind of a weird question but I'd love to hear you talk just because I, I think it might be a valuable thing for people to hear when when you kind of behold younger musicians who you know have been de- have been denied a bunch like mm-hmm. or younger musicians who aren't getting validation um from you know kind of authority figures like what kinds of things like how how do you see people who have not like you know figured it out yet or you know it might, I feel like it might give like people a guide for like maybe how they should look at musicians who haven't kind of. Um, wow. Yeah. So. Like what kind, like what kinds of things do you value in, this is a, what better way to ask it. What kinds of things do you value in artists who aren't yet having like a proof of concept? Oh, got it. There is no substitute for hard work. Yeah. There is like, you're not going to be, there is nobody that is so talented except for a few exceptions. Yeah. 
Right. Like who, who, you're Michael Jackson's and you're, you're Michael Whitney Jackson Houston's. or you're Whitney Houston or you're, you know, so and so. There are very few undeniables and way more hard workers. Right. And so you have to learn how to work as a musician in maybe ways you've never experienced or even thought of. And the working is self motivation, yeah. um, emotional growth, spiritual growth, yeah. learning how to like become a human that has values and, and groundings and beliefs and that has confidence in those things and that stands up for what they feel, um, that has connections to other humans that knows how to be yeah. a good, a kind human, a good person, um, learning how to be creative. I think that's a, that's a growth. It's huge. Like I was have, I was listening to a podcast the other day and this particular ranger says, I'm productive for three hours a day. I know other arrangers who try for eight hours and they can do okay. Or maybe they do fine. Yeah. He's like, I've learned what my creative bandwidth is yeah, and yeah. I live within that, but I had to experiment cool. for a long time. What was that? It was a Jordan Peterson podcast. Okay, Actually, that's so weird because it was very recent. Andrew was just, my husband, Andrew was just, Maybe he listened to the same. Might thing. have been the same one. It was an arranger from Canada who moved to France, and he does a he you know as a composer and arranger. That's even a harder world to live in. Yeah. So he talked about this creative mode. So musicians need to learn how to creatively work. Yeah, like be creative about how you make your work and yeah. figure out what that sweet yeah. spot is for you. Okay, let me ask like maybe this slightly different thing. If there is a younger artist, or I guess age doesn't matter, but an artist who hasn't. I don't know, figured out how they're going to do their thing. And you believe in them. Like you look at this person and you're like, this is really special. Like this voice is special. This writing is special. This vision mm -hmm. is special. What does it mean to you to like support that kind of a person? Like what, I, what I think might the support like? needs to, to normalize the development, yeah. to normalize the growth, to normalize. Like you might be 14, but you're not writing your best songs yet. Yeah. You to might, kind of see a yeah. spark of something and not like, not put a period on it right there. Yeah, like you're great. Don't do anything else and don't know. At this point, when you, if you can discover and have support from um, and have like a reality check of like, you know what, if this is something you would like to, if you're interested in, not that you'd like to do, that you're interested in, there will be a price to pay. Mm -hmm. be, be aware of the price to pay to become what you want to become because there's a price to pay for anything. It, that's not to like give them a scare tactic of like a price yeah. to pay. It's like if you want to be a doctor, here's what you got to do. What about if you want to be a musician, here's what you got to. I'm like, I'm giving, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not sure what I want to hear, but what if it's someone who's like in their mid twenties and like, they're like a, they're already writing like great stuff. Like, okay. let's say they're already someone that's like, you think they're killing it, but they just maybe haven't like found the right connections yet. Or like they haven't, um, like what, what do you feel like it means to like believe in someone and believe that they like are ready and support them when they're not. Well, being, being, being proof. Yeah. Well, like being exceptionally good and having success in the industry, just, they don't correlate. Totally. Like they need to I know first this is the thing I'd love okay. for you to talk about. Yeah. It, it, first and foremost, <laughs> they need to know that just because someone doesn't like not everyone's loving what they do right now, yeah. that it somehow is devalued. Right. They, I, it's nicer I think that's when something that the public should know. And 100%. I feel like it's valuable to hear someone like you yeah. like say that. I mean, I, I've, there's a song, singer songwriter here in Provo. His name's Scott Shepard. Okay. I haven't heard of him. He, he's a front man for a, a band called Book on Tapeworm. Okay. I've heard of that. And yeah. he's the principal songwriter for it. He's also in, he's like a member of all these other groups, but he's not in any way a face or name. You would never know he's a part right. unless you okay. knew him. 
Scott is, Scott's one of the best songwriters I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. He doesn't live in LA. He doesn't live in Chicago. He doesn't live in New York. He's not in Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. He doesn't have a publishing deal. He doesn't have a label deal. He doesn't have major license deals. He actually has a day job working for Desert Book. Yeah. But Scott has this inner, he, he's not the one that's looking to be told if he's good or not because Scott's doing what he wants to do. But someone from the outside in, this is why I'm saying this, someone yeah. from the outside in might see Scott and be like, oh, well, he's not like, he can't be a good songwriter because he's because not. Because there isn't this proof. These things this aren't is happening. exactly what I mean. Yeah. But Scott's songs are yeah. brilliant. His ability to co-write is wow. brilliant. His his pulling together of the curation of pieces of, of wordsmithing and and creating a almost like a world yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and he does it the way he wants to. Um, and I think there's he'll he'll even tell you that there's more he could do that sometimes he's scared to or mm. or it's not his forte as in like yeah. a networker or a more extroverted sure. activity. That's so cool. anyone that's even not in his because Scott's Scott's in his late thirties, just got married, just bought a home. Like he's not moving anywhere. He's not Yeah. But he's one of the best I've ever met. So if someone's coming up that's has the same level of talent and they're they think it needs to happen right now i think it takes like 10 years to become an overnight success totally yeah that's something that i think people they don't know they don't know it and they don't know that like like it's easy it it frustrates me sometimes that people are good at believing in someone in retrospect like you said like i went to high school with that guy he's always been amazing but i i feel mm. like support the artists that I think this are is now a, that are right now who need that you know love what? from you. I think this is a, a question of human psychology. Yeah. There is a there is a switch in the brains of human, and I've even been susceptible to it. I know this. Mm-hmm. When something is, starts to pop off, yeah. you're much more willing to now like, oh. Right. Maybe it was this oh, and you wouldn't never say this, but like you're not You've heard it on the radio five times now. Yeah. And you might have heard that song off someone's random Spotify playlist that they shared or with you. You might have heard the guy play ago. it live. Might have heard him <laughs> play live in a lounge yeah. at Valor or yeah. Montage and be right. like, Wow, like, okay. But because they're not being told by something or someone right. or some brand or some selling marketing campaign. Yeah. They're not being told that this is successful. Then they're just like, okay. It's not good. And I think that's yeah. human psychology yeah, more yeah. than anything. And I think that's very it, it happens on a broad scale because you'll see the numbers swing. I know. Because there's more than one human that is feeling a, this psychology switch in their brain. Right. But then there's the the true artists and lovers and musician kind of we'll see it regardless. who get it. And so they're yeah. like, oh, I was on I was on board with that before because yeah. they saw it. And they're like happy to now support and see that they're getting the, the attention they need. I would love to see more people just really thinking like, do I think this is excellent? And giving that love to artists who aren't getting the validation like don't wait you know like if you like just consider that something might be excellent that that you haven't just having some accountability for their their choice about something abstract yeah whether it's art whether it's a movie right whether it's a musician or an artist or song Uh, that's something that i would i would love to see more people like imagine how could they be empowered to do that because right now as a mainstream media world yeah that is money making that's what they want to do there's more passive listeners than anybody how do how could we as musicians or our how could our industry empower people to feel more accountable and and even confident in making decisions about artistic taste in their own taste that is a 
that's a deep dark well of yeah. of like lifelong so much well i've been like i said i've been thinking about it lately like just you know when i'm at the grocery store it's like in my brain like what is this problem and i think you're right like some of this is just like we are pack animals like we just yes habits of creature and habits of tri- like tribal yeah totally cultural boundaries but i do think we could do better and i think maybe having artists who have a you know a bit of a proof of something to be like there's good shit everywhere that no one is paying attention to yeah. and like look for it yeah Look for it. And like when you see something like that, like tell that painter or tell that chef or tell that, you know, whoever it is, like this is really special. Like I'm not an authority, but I think this is special. And even if they can't define it or put in word like a, a sentence to it and articulate something, maybe they can just reserve and hold space for a minute to be like, what is this? Yeah. Because we're all so quick to jump to some type of defining conclusion. Like I hated that movie. Right. You saw it once Ugh. on the day that maybe you were super pissed off at your girlfriend and you were hungry yeah. and you had to rush to something and you got there late. Like there's totally. so many factors that put us into a space that right. like when we, we hear a song or we even food, whatever it might be, we're so quick to label and move on from something because there's all this stimuli. So sometimes psycho- psychologically our brain's like, yeah. how do I compartmentalize this super fast? Yeah. And maybe with the things that have some more importance like music. Yeah movies, things that have artistic value and even beneficial value in our life, maybe we can just reserve and hold off for a second yeah. and be like, maybe I should, I'll just listen to this a little bit more or I'll, yeah. I'll let it float around again. Maybe I don't even have to say if I like it or don't. What does it matter if I say I like this yeah. or I don't like it? Well, it's just love. Like it's, I mean, it's a good way to kind of like extend like love and care to just like other people. Like you've got a person in front of you who's trying their best to like build something to show you something and to just I don't know to just have like a little bit of curiosity in that moment feels like a little bit of empathy kind of the least you can maybe do yeah (laughs) Yeah. well because it's also you're catching them at that moment in that space for those and you don't know what that musician maybe that musician isn't having a bad day maybe they don't sound great at the moment (laughs) maybe their voice is tired maybe that song was the thing they're just trying out They're like you know what I'll never play this again because I now know it doesn't work or like yes or like, you know, maybe you are playing at the montage a week before you're on The Voice and before you're, you know, having this attention and someone's like, this guy is maybe kind of a loser because I haven't heard of him. You know, I think that kind of a mentality so, is yeah. such bullshit. If I haven't heard of them, then they must not be. Yeah. Or if they're thing. playing in this, if they're in Utah, they're not in L.A., that must mean that mm-hmm. when it doesn't mean that at all. At all. Yeah, their, their priority might be different. Like that, my guy, that guy might be just as t- talented as the guy in L.A., yeah. but he doesn't want to live in L.A. Exactly. He yeah. doesn't want to actually run the race in the the competition of yeah, his the label value system. Might just be different. He's happy to like, do this, and his talent is is, is, a, is just as good. And you could even yeah. support him, and it would make even more sense to spend ten bucks there than it would on totally whoever's massive tour. Totally, <laughs> totally. They're yes. not gonna miss it, but this guy. Okay, this is maybe like kind of a related question, but from the other end, I'm sure there are a lot of people who tell you the reasons why like you're special and you're like a brilliant voice. Um, What are, what, what do you feel is like special and unique about you? Like, what are the things that you value about your own? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot like that. Skills and talent (laughs) and voice. Um, What do you value most about like what what, you do? What I can do? Or just like the person you are. I mean... The kind of stories you tell, like just what are the things that you feel like most proud of? 
The song that I've written that I'm the most proud of is a song called Stay Foolish. So I'll just use this as like an object lesson. Okay, great. I wrote this with Scott Shepard. Okay. The guy I just told you about. Yeah. I wrote it with a buddy who's amazing. I wrote it for no reason other than to write it. There was no campaign or album or artist or licensing opportunity. I wrote it simply because I felt the need to. And I wrote it about, I got really personal. Yeah. And I wrote it. Um, so it's called Stay Foolish in this like interesting way. It's a spin on the phrase. Um, stay foolish, stay wild. I'll live my life because it's mine. Stay foolish, stay wild. I'll live my life. Uh, like I'll do what I do. And it was a, almost like a song to myself. Yeah. And I think that that resonated with, with me specifically because I was telling a story that made sense to me, but it was also universal. Sure. Um, I think people resonated with it because I was able to deliver it. I was able to sing it in a way that sounded like it felt. Yeah, yeah. Like even if they didn't hear the lyrics, they would still feel the same way. Totally. And that was the first time that I felt like I'd written a song that had done that. Mm, like the cool. the energies matched up with the lyric. Yeah, like lyrically you'd feel this and musically you felt the same thing and they combined to be very cool. bigger. That's awesome. Much bigger. So That's a good feeling. But what I do as a musician, I don't know. I, the thing that I get the most feedback from is my voice. Yeah. That's why I'm wondering, like, mm. if, it, if if you just kind of feel like, I this enjoy, is just what my voice is. or This is what my voice is. I enjoy that it lets me do some things with it to express. I do get a satisfaction that it sounds in my ear. I'm like, okay, that was a good note or yeah. that was a good run. or. But at the end of it, I don't ever think back to the specifics. As sure. how, I think did, when I finished, did that feel good? Yeah, that's the thing that you had that you've that's worked what I'm on. Shooting that's for. your intention. Yeah, your intention isn't about the riffs. It's because then I'm the out connection. of my head. Yeah, I'm not worried about. And this is what I think more amateurs will get into is every note has to be somehow be perfect. Every phrase, everything is so crafted and sculpted and has a specific way that it has to be done. Mm -hmm. That any little twist yeah. in that or glitch that didn't work, oh, they kind of oh, the perfectionism kicks yeah. in, and they're just like that was awful. Yeah, and that was a lot of the classical styles of music. Like they wanted to play it so pristine mm. and so to the to the order of like how Mozart wanted you to play it. Yeah. And it was supposed to be almost imitating something rather than being yeah. your, yourself. So I've loved getting into a space where I sing this to have it feel yeah. a certain way. So and like that will you, change. Like nailing the gig means like you were present the whole time. I was present that yeah. people were engaged that, um, I mean, technically I had to sing well to have that happen. I'm not going to yeah. feel good at the end of a show if I was cracking and squeaking the whole time and forgetting my lyrics and right. completely botching the riff that I do yeah. want to do. Or there's, So there is the balance between sure. the of technicality yeah. and then the balance between the heart. And I feel like maybe that's what I'm proud of right now is that I'm learning to combine those two. Use the technicality to tell to a story. To actually express. And, yeah. and I'm okay to break the rules. And I'm okay to not do the thing that was expected. Yeah. And I'm, I'm confident that... I'm confident now that that worked. I don't know why. Mm. But I know it, you, but I know it worked. And I know to like just trust it and... Yeah. And get out, of the, get out of the way of it, basically. Yeah, yeah. There's I, a lot I of that. that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I think we've kind of done it. I always ask everybody two questions at the end. Okay. Is there anything else you want to have said, though? No. Okay. That's how yeah, podcasts we, go. Like we, we could we could cool have gone five thousand ways. No, isn't it amazing? It's my favorite. Yeah. Okay, so I ask everybody at the end on this day, what's your dream collaboration? Who would you love Ooh. to work with? James Blake. Awesome. I love James Blake. He is so. He's the kind of person who, again, is like such this artist mm, yeah. in a way that like 
I feel like he so easily could have been, we could have never heard of him. Because the kind of yeah. stuff he makes is not. And I, I now it makes me want to go, you know, to see what his story was because I know his, some of his first stuff was pretty experimental. Very. But the thing that was in his advantage was that he was in Europe, totally. specifically England. I think like, about that all the time. The, the, he wouldn't have be, lived here. People can be wacky there, in a way that you you can't get away with it here. Or if you're gonna be wacky and get away with it here, you've got to have your friends and family have to be like on it you know do you know what i mean like if there you're has gonna to be, be a context kind of- to set it into rather than like i think they're way more open like we were talking about we're asking how can we make people more accountable for their tastes yeah yeah i think europe that's what i'm saying with the longevity of their culture and yeah. music history and just the way the development that they appreciate of, things yeah, yeah they're much more willing to be like we don't care if anyone else doesn't like this this james blake guy is amazing right here, here he wouldn't have he might have been an underground kind of cultish success, yeah, but he's like mainstream. In Portland. There. He was yeah. winning the, you know, Artist of the Year awards. Yeah. He's worked with Beyonce. Yeah, yeah. Like he yeah. guys on on major, major, major stuff. And so yeah, I'd I'd love to work with him because he's got that no holds bar type of approach. Totally. He he's, has a soulful he's voice an himself. Artist, like a vision. He's like a visionary. And he did a collaboration with Boney Vare. Yeah, I love Boney Vare too. Um I need a forest fire. Right, yeah. Uh, Beautiful. So gorgeous. And they and they just they push things. They create yeah. new stuff. Yeah. They they make new worlds. Yeah. They're not and I Yeah, it's like cinematic I I but love, intimate at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's electronic magical. but organic. Totally. They combine all of those worlds and it cool. somehow works. And I'm like, I don't even know why, but it's amazing. I feel the same. So yeah, if I could work with anyone right now, it'd be James Blake. Awesome. It's a perfect answer. And then finally, where can everybody find you? Where should they follow you? So and- I'm everywhere I should be. Um Instagram is just my name, Ryan Innes, R-Y-A-N-I-N-N-E-S. Twitter, same thing. Spotify, same thing. Okay. YouTube. Websites, the Website, same. yeah. Okay. I was very lucky to be able to get yeah, all my things in the them. same name. So anywhere that you look for music and, and stream music, I'm there. Awesome. Ryan, yeah. it was so lovely to talk to you. you thank as well. you so much. Yes, yeah. thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.